morning, everyone. Good morning to those of you watching online. Question for you this morning. What is faith? What is faith? We have a few verses we're going to tackle here. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Two key words there, hope and assurance. Let's go to that second verse. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Would you agree with me, friends, that faith changes everything? Faith changes everything. Faith changes everything for me. So I placed trust in Jesus as my Savior when I was 12 years old. So for the last 39 years, it has been a journey for me, but God has rewarded me with hope and assurance as I have earnestly sought Jesus. Faith changed everything for my wife, Julie. She placed trust in Jesus as her Savior when she was 19 years old while we were dating. It's been a journey for Julie as well, but God has rewarded her with hope and assurance as she has earnestly sought Jesus. Faith changed everything for my kids, Austin, Addison, and Ansley. I had the joy of baptizing them 14 years ago, whenever they were 10, 8, and 7. It's been a journey for them, but God has rewarded Austin, Addison, and Ansley with hope and assurance as they have earnestly sought Jesus. So I ask you, what is your story of faith? Could today be a day, could today be the day when faith changes everything for you? We're coming to the end of our year-long study of John. That deserves a round of applause, doesn't it? (laughs) Since this is the Christmas season, we are looking at each of Jesus' final appearances following his resurrection, but... We're looking at them through the lens of Advent, and we're comparing them to various appearances that are found throughout the Christmas story. And in celebration of faith for our family, I've asked my wife, Julie, to come join me on the worship platform in the lighting of our Advent candles this morning. So by lighting these candles, we are leading up to Christmas. We are dropping the lighter. So we're celebrating and anticipating the arrival of Jesus. So if you're watching online, we invite you to light the candles that we've provided for you. If you're watching here in our room, we want you to go home uh, this afternoon and with your family, light those candles. So our first message this Christmas season centered on hope. So Julie, if you could please light the candle relating to hope. Our second message of this Christmas season related to peace. You could light that second candle. And our message today, as you might guess, is related to what? Faith. Today, we're going to light the candle relating to faith. Thanks, Julie. So may God bless our church family this Christmas season as we celebrate the coming of Christ. So today I'm going to tell you three stories 
little different passage this morning. Three stories about three separate people in the Bible where faith changed everything. A guy named Joseph, a guy named Zechariah, and a guy named Thomas. These are three unique stories linked with undeniable similarities, undeniable parallels. And we're going to crisscross across the Gospels this morning from Matthew to Luke to John. So buckle your seatbelts. This is going to be a lot of fun this morning. So we start with the story of Joseph. So we find ourselves just a few few weeks away from Christmas. Thus, what are we going to do? We're going to touch upon a story surrounding the birth of Jesus. Matthew starts his gospel with the genealogy of Jesus. Then he dives right into the story of the birth of Jesus. And this story involves a young couple to be married, the visitation from an angel and a dream, an incredibly wild claim about a baby, and doubt turned to faith. So Matthew 1, 18 through 25, we see faith changes everything for Joseph. So get out your Bibles, get out your Bible apps, take a look at Matthew 1, 18. That's where we're starting this morning. So it says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Other translations say that she was engaged to Joseph or betrothed to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You see, Mary was still a virgin. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So in these verses, we see the testimony of Matthew about Jesus followed by the initial doubt of Joseph. So after years and years and years of anticipation, the the nation of Israel had, God speaks. God speaks. Old Testament scripture had pointed to the coming of the Messiah, and the time is now. Matthew tells the story from the perspective of Joseph. And what an unlikely couple God chooses. Mary was probably 12 to 13 to 14 years old, while while Joseph was more like 18 to 20. Their marriage was arranged by their parents, according to Jewish custom. They had not had sexual relations yet, but Joseph finds his fiancée pregnant. Ouch! Ouch! Ouch, I can only imagine what this moment must have been like for Joseph. So let me ask you, what would your response be to Mary? Finger pointing, anger, vindictiveness? Well, Joseph's first response is doubt. He doesn't understand. Joseph thinks, I have to call this off. He plans on doing so quietly without shaming Mary. Albeit disbelieving, Joseph shows Incredible character in this moment. He has every right to trash her publicly. She is considered an adulteress in Jewish culture. In verses 20 through 23, Joseph has an angelic encounter. Take a look there at Matthew 1, verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, appeared to Joseph and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin 
will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here we see the appearance of an angel in a dream, followed by an incredible claim, and then the fulfillment of prophecy. God steps in and changes Joseph's plans. He sends one of his messengers in a dream to intercede, to provide staggering, unbelievable, supernatural news to Joseph. The angel tells Joseph not to fear. Don't shrink away, Joseph. The angel's presence brings encouragement. The angel's presence impacts the mindset of Joseph. Mary will have a son to be named Jesus, which stands for God is salvation, or the Lord saves. God will be his father through the Holy Spirit, and Mary will be his mother. Jesus is fully God, and Jesus is fully man. Jesus will be Emmanuel, as Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 7, 14. God with us. God tells Joseph, this is a big deal, Joseph. Don't leave Mary. She will birth the Son of God. So how will Joseph respond? How will he respond to this encounter with the angel? Take a look there at verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage. He had no mutual relations, no sexual relations, until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So in these two verses, we see the faith of Joseph resulted in an act of obedience, which is then followed by the birth of Jesus. I remember when our kids were young, we encouraged them to have first-time obedience. Do what we say the very first time. As Julie would attest to, sometimes they did, and sometimes they did not. (laughs) In this instance, Joseph follows the Lord's direction. First-time obedience. He obeys in keeping with his righteous character. He exhibits faith through action and the plan that God laid out to him. Yes, it was an interruption. Yes, it seemed completely implausible. Yes, it would be very hard to explain to family and friends, wouldn't it? It was not how he had written it up, but Joseph trusts God and Joseph obeyed. Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus. Matthew makes sure that his readers know that he and Mary were not involved sexually. Jesus was born, and Joseph gets the privilege of naming the Savior of the world. Would you say that Joseph is rewarded for his faith? This is the story of Joseph. Next, we have the story of Zechariah. So Luke connects the birth story of Jesus to the birth story of John the Baptist in his gospel account. So Luke provides a brief introduction in his book, and then he jumps right into the birth of the Savior, Jesus, and the prophet, John. So we see this in Luke 1 and Luke 2. So go ahead, uh, turn there to Luke 1. John the Baptist's humble role is to point people to Jesus. Zechariah and Elizabeth are the father and the mother of Jesus. John the Baptist is related to Jesus, as Luke claims that Elizabeth and Mary are relatives. They're probably cousins, most think. In Luke 1, we see faith changes everything for Zechariah. So we'll start working in this passage through verses 5 uh, through 17. So Luke describes Zechariah as a priest. 
a descendant of Aaron, like his wife Elizabeth. This couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, are described as righteous. They're blameless. Elizabeth has been unable to have children. Zechariah is fulfilling his priestly duties in the temple when he has a visitor, another visitor. Take a look there at verse 11, Luke 1, 11. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled. He was gripped with fear, a very common response when you see an angel. But the angel of the Lord said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. The angel goes on to say that their son will be great in the sight of the Lord. Their son will be filled with the Holy Spirit. John will make the people of Israel prepared for the Lord. So to summarize, Luke presents the appearance of an angel followed by the promise of the birth of John the Baptist. Luke presents the birth story of John the Baptist, and he presents it from the perspective of his father, Zechariah. Like the story of Joseph, Zechariah is greeted by an angel. Zechariah is a deeply, deeply religious man, but Zechariah is aging, and Zechariah is childless. He's given his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to offer incense in the temple. This is no coincidence. This is according to God's plan. Zechariah is told by the angel that he will have a son, and their son would be special. Their son would be a prophet. Like the news to Joseph, this is a supernatural stretch for Zechariah to take in, for Zechariah to believe. So we continue with verses 18 through 25, Luke 1, 18 through 25. We see the response of Zechariah started in verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this thing happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Later, Zechariah returns home, and Elizabeth becomes pregnant. Here we see the doubt, the initial doubt of Zechariah, followed by the consequences of his inability to speak. Like Joseph, Zechariah exhibits doubt. He exhibits a lack of faith. He asks for a sign. Now, first blush, this is hard to believe. This seems odd. Zechariah had personal history. He was a religious man. He was highly educated. He was well-respected. He was in the temple of God, for heaven's sake, a place that facilitates belief with the miracle presence of an angel. Still, he did not believe. Scholars believe Zechariah and Elizabeth are probably well over 60 at this point in time. The angel identifies himself as Gabriel, which means mighty man of God, or God is my hero. The pronouncement should be should be well-received by Zechariah, right? But God views it as ill-received. He gave the wrong response. Thus, Zechariah struck silent. He struck mute. Zechariah wallows in his disbelief as God's divine timing is on display. John would be born at the appointed time to point people to the appointed Savior. 
And then Luke expresses the faith of Elizabeth toward the end of that passage in her thankfulness. The story of Zechariah concludes with verses 57 through 66. In verse 57, Luke claims, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. She gave birth to a son. Elizabeth claims the baby's name should be John. People on the scene motion to Zechariah to see what he wants to name the baby. To their astonishment, Zechariah writes on a tablet, his name is John. His tongue is immediately loosed and he's able to speak. In this passage, we see the birth of John the Baptist followed by the faith, faith of Zechariah. Can you imagine this scene? I love this scene in Scripture. Jewish children were normally named at birth, but the naming may have been delayed by Zechariah's inability to speak, by his muteness. Children were usually named after their grandfather, sometimes their father. But John, John, where did this name come from? He's named Yohanan in Hebrew, which is John in English. And his name means God has been gracious. Zechariah confirms the wishes of his wife by writing on that tablet, his name is John. Luke demonstrates the impact of this moment and the importance of John the Baptist in the story of Jesus Christ. Luke also illustrates the eventual movement of faith for Zechariah as he obeys God in the naming of his son. His first words are praising God. That's the first thing Zechariah does. If it were me, after five months not being able to speak, I would probably say, it's about time, God. This is the story of Zechariah. Finally, we have the story of Thomas. So as we have taught recently from John, Jesus was arrested. Jesus was sentenced. He was crucified. He was buried in a new tomb in a garden. After three days, a friend of Jesus's, Mary Magdalene, found the tomb empty. Jesus was gone. The risen and resurrected Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. He appears to Mary Magdalene first. Then he appears to his disciples. But one of the disciples was not present. That disciple was Thomas. So in John 20, 24 through 29, find that in your Bible or Bible apps, faith changes everything for Thomas. We'll start with verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Denibus, or twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and unless I put my finger where those nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. In these two verses, we see the testimony of the disciples about Jesus, followed by the initial doubt of Thomas. The disciples saw Jesus. They share their exuberance with Thomas, also now known as Doubting Thomas. So Thomas is really, I, I think, more of a realist, isn't he? He's rattled like the other disciples at the death of Jesus. He is down and out. He is skeptical. He wants proof himself, not only the verbal testimony of the disciples, but he wants physical testimony. He wants forensic evidence. He wants to see Jesus for himself. He feels isolated. He feels left out because he hasn't. Why wasn't Thomas 
with the disciples? That's a question I asked myself as I studied this text. We could only presume that this was a part of God's control, God's sovereignty. God wanted to put an exclamation point in John's gospel right here. Have you ever desired proof of something? Well, this is the Christmas season, the coming of Jesus. And if you've experienced the birth of a child like I have, that that ultrasound, that is a game changer, isn't it? (laughs) As a young parent, you get to see your child on the screen. It's evidence. It's proof. It's so reassuring. Well, some time passes, and here comes Jesus again. So let's take a look at verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. And the literal translation here is, do not be unbelieving, but believe. In this passage, we see the appearance of Jesus followed by his testament and his call for Thomas to believe. So it is the next Lord's Day. It is a week after Resurrection Sunday. The disciples are still frightened. They're scared by the Jewish leaders as the doors are locked for this gathering. Jesus supernaturally, dramatically, and emphatically enters the room. He stands among them. He offers shalom. He offers peace to quiet their souls. And he offers that shalom specifically to Thomas. He knows the situation. Jesus immediately offers his body to Thomas, physical proof to the doubting disciple. And he implores Thomas to believe. Jesus presents exactly what Thomas needed to see. He offers his body, his hands, and his side. Jesus makes an invitation for belief to Thomas. An invitation to cast away doubt. An invitation which followed undeniable proof. So how will Thomas respond to this call to belief by Jesus? Take a look at verse 28. Jesus, or I'm sorry, Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you, Thomas, have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So in these verses, we see the faith of Thomas. The faith of Thomas followed by the affirmation of Jesus. So like Joseph and Zechariah, Thomas expresses faith. He makes a profound statement of belief. He says, my Lord and my God. And this is the high point confession. This is the climax confession in all of John's gospel. This brings the gospel full circle from John 1.1, which says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus affirms the faith of Thomas, but he also provides a blessing to those who believe but have not yet had the opportunity to see. We're reminded of 1 Peter 1.8-9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. 
for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the story of Thomas. Faith changes everything. Faith changes everything. These are three, these are three powerful stories of faith for Joseph, for Zechariah, and for Thomas. In each situation, faith overcame doubt. The great evangelist Billy Graham often said that overcoming doubt or building faith requires engaging the emotions, engaging the mind, engaging the will. Pastor Tim Keller points out that these three things, emotions, mind, and will, make up the heart of man. So in America, we tend to think of the heart as the center of emotions, don't we? But this contrasts the biblical picture of the heart. So how does this apply to you and me? Well, we can look at how Jesus addressed Thomas, in particular in his time of doubt, and apply this to, to the actions in our own lives. I mean, remember, remember, we are called to live and love like Jesus. You've heard that a time or two, haven't you, over the last 12 months? <laughs> well, the first thing Jesus does is he addresses Thomas's emotions. It's important to acknowledge that faith is not absent of emotion. Faith is not devoid of emotion, but it is also not controlled by emotion. And Jesus modeled this in his life on earth. Billy Graham described a healthy emotional state as the difference between a campfire and a forest fire. I love this. So one, the campfire is controlled. It is useful. It is beneficial to camping. While the other, the forest fire, is destructive. It destroys. So healthy emotions can inspire right action in our lives. And it all starts from a place of peace. So notice when Jesus offered peace, for the disciples, this is important. He did not attempt to change their circumstance. He wished them peace within their circumstances. So Jesus demonstrates his love for Thomas in that moment because he treated Thomas and his doubt with respect. He did not set it to the side. We express emotion as it relates to faith when we look at the bruised, the beaten and the crucified Savior, and we think to ourselves, this is a man. Jesus, this is a man that I can follow. This is a master that I can serve. So Jesus appeals to the emotions of Thomas. Jesus also appeals to the mind of Thomas. Our mind is engaged when we consider the evidence presented to us. Jesus presented the evidence of his resurrection directly to Thomas. In our case, evidence is gathered through God's word, through personal experience, through the testimony of others. We do not check our intellect at the door when we decide to follow Christ. We engage our intellect. The third aspect of the heart, according to Tim Keller, is the will. The will. So it can be tempting to think that a lack of faith is due solely to a lack of knowledge. Not the case. Many times doubt is associated with the will. In other words, without a will to believe, you will not believe. Thomas wanted to believe. He desired proof. My younger brother, Michael, was a great athlete. He played college football for Western Kentucky. He used to tell my, my boys, Austin and Addison, 
You got to have the want to. You got to have the want to. I can hear him saying that. Well, Thomas, he had the want to. Thomas had the want to. Sometimes doubt is a result of disillusionment. Sometimes doubt is a result of fear. Sometimes it is a desire to hold on to your current life. Sometimes doubt is a result of unconfessed sin or, or guilt. The knowledge may be there, but the will, the want to, holds us back. We must invite acceptance into faith, into Jesus. So for Thomas, his emotions, his mind, and his will, they were engaged. He believed. There's a question for us to consider this morning. Would Thomas have believed if not for the presence of God? If not for the presence of Jesus? Would Thomas have believed? You may say to yourself, well, I would believe too if Jesus showed me his scars in person. Remember, friends, Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. Today, today, the presence of God is expressed in the person of the Holy Spirit. Faith is the assurance that God is present through the Holy Spirit for those who believe in Jesus. We sense the presence of God. This prepares our hearts to engage in faith. Faith changes everything. Changed everything for Joseph, for Zechariah, and for Thomas. Could today be a day when faith changes everything for you? Let me ask you, do you relate to these stories of faith? Do you relate to Joseph? For Joseph, it was an angel and a dream. What is it for you? You have a plan for your life, but it has been interrupted like it was for Joseph. Things seem to be going swimmingly, but wait. You sense God prompting you to set aside the wisdom of the world and accept his plan for your life? Or do you relate to Zechariah? Different situation with Zechariah. For Zechariah, he lived within the confines of his religion, his whole life. Yet he doubted. He awaited a child. Doubt persisted in his life. What is it for you? Maybe you've checked all those boxes, just like Zechariah. You've seen the evidence, but you still doubt. You've not fully committed yourself. Jesus says, come, come follow me. But you hesitate. Why do you hesitate? Could it be due to unanswered prayer or some unmet expectation? Or maybe you relate to Thomas. For Thomas, he needed to see for himself. What is it for you? Your friends or family members are excited about their faith in Jesus. You tell them all or they tell you all about it, but you still have questions. Maybe you've even been labeled a skeptic. You've been labeled a doubter. You want to fully review the evidence before taking this leap of faith, before accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You have barriers to your belief, past hurts, pain from someone who calls themselves a Christian, pain from a church that lets you down. Well, I want to encourage you today, whether you relate to Joseph, whether you relate to Zechariah, or whether you relate to Thomas, faith can change everything for you, just like it did those three men, just like it has for my family and me. 
Jesus appeared in a small town of Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. His appearance was prophesied throughout the Old Old Testament by the prophets Moses and David, Isaiah, Daniel, and Micah. They all said Jesus was coming. They said Jesus would save humankind from their sin. Jesus died on the cross. And as Thomas witnessed with his own eyes, Jesus was raised from the dead three days later. Picture those scars on his hands and on his side. Thomas claimed his divinity. My Lord and my God. Jesus is so much more than a great teacher. Jesus can be trusted. He suffered for your sake. He is God. He defeated the grave. That's where you say amen, Betty. There you go. The Apostle Paul says 500 people witnessed the resurrected body of Jesus. 500 people accept their testimony, accept the testimony of the apostles. For that matter, accept the testimony of the witnesses in your life, your family, your friends, your coworkers. What if your situation is different? What if you are a Christ follower, but you're struggling? You're struggling right now. You're struggling to accept some of those promises that God has made to you. Well, Joseph and Zechariah and Thomas, they struggled too. You lack peace. You lack joy. You lack hope. You lack strength in your life. I'm here to tell you today, God's promises are true. Accept God's promises in your life. Accept God's love for you. Could today be the day when faith changes everything for you? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are an amazing God. Your sovereignty is amazing, Father. You have sent your son Jesus, who lived and died and rose again for us so that we could believe. Father, we have all different situations in our life, Father, but you have a path for us to salvation, and that path is Jesus. And it is Jesus alone. May you place faith in our hearts. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.